to be back despite the weather. Um, we were in Arizona last week, and I just love wearing shorts in November. Uh, but how many of you have gone away for a warm holiday, like ever in your whole life during winter? And then what's the worst part? When the airport doors open, and you remember that we live, the air hurts our face. And we regret that. No, it's a wonderful place to live. It's so good to be back with you uh, this morning. We love going away and, and being with people and going to other churches and seeing how they do things. But, but there's always a piece of me that, that just misses home and misses our church family and, and being able to be here with you. So we're so grateful to be back and to be able to do this, to teach scripture uh, as, as an occupation is something that I, it's hard to fathom and I'm just so grateful for it. Uh, this morning we're starting, so last Sunday in the evening we had our Advent kind of kick off with the ministerial, and then this morning we kind of start that off in, in our church this, uh, in the morning services, and so we're going to look at our four traditional uh, passages, uh, and this year because we're not having service on Christmas Day, because it falls on, uh, the 25th falls on a Sunday, but the 24th in the evening, that's our big service that we have, our Christmas Eve, and we're going to talk about the theme of love and, and ultimately Jesus coming to the cross for us uh, and, and all that that signifies on that morning. So the next three weeks, we're going to look at hope, uh, joy, and peace. And so this morning, if you were uh, listening to the reading um, that Sid read for us, and Carly was supposed to, but it wasn't your fault, Carly, it's okay. Um, this, this reading is all about the hope specifically that the Old Testament people had looking to the future amidst some very difficult circumstances and some very painful issues that were going on. There's hope in those verses that was God's promise to us. And so I'm going to say this probably too many times to count this morning, but our hope this morning should not be placed on circumstance. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives in the sense of the hope that we can have in Christ. And, and we're going to explore and unpack that this morning. But I just want to clarify that because this morning, if you're here and you don't feel very hopeful, if you feel overrun, stressed out, exhausted, overwhelmed, whatever adjective you want to do, and, and you're like, man, hope is the last thing on my mind, then I hope I hope as we read through these verses, as we remind ourselves of the truth of God's word, that the hope that we have in Christ can return to us despite what might be happening in our lives. And so in Malachi 3, I just want to read that first verse again. Uh, Malachi writes this to us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, we have hindsight, right? We have all of Scripture to know this, but who is Malachi speaking of here? Oh, boy. John the Baptist, somebody says. That's right. I don't know if somebody actually said that. But that is, that is correct. Uh, thank you for playing that game show. Um, Malachi is, is speaking of one who will come to prepare the way for the one who ultimately is going to come and deal with sin. And like I said, if you read through all of Malachi, man, there's, it's, it's pretty depressing. There's a lot of difficult challenge in there. Uh, because basically what the prophet is doing is he's saying, you know what? nation of Israel, you, you continue to turn away from God and choose to follow your own selves and, and kind of redefine the law for yourself. And, and it always ends badly. And the prophets come and they, they remind you and call you back to repentance. And, and sometimes they do, but this cycle just keeps continuing over and over. And, and basically what Malachi is saying is this cycle is going to continue. 
all the way up until there is one who comes who will save the world. And so even though the Old Testament, Malachi is the last in the Old Testament there, even though that's the last thing we read, at least in our tradition here, as we read that and finish that book off, it feels like, man, there's so much bad news, but there's still hope. Hope to the people of Israel that one day God is going to come down to earth, that God is going to be with us. And in Christian vernacular, what, do we, what term do we use at Christmas? God with us, Emmanuel. That God is not just some kind of cosmic watchmaker who sets things in motion and then steps back and just says, hey, let's just see what happens. But that God is one actively involved and so much so that he continues to call his people back to himself through the prophets, knowing that this cycle is going to continue until one day when God's going to come and be amongst us. That Jesus is going to come and deal with sin and and give us an opportunity at salvation to come and to be with him ultimately for all of eternity. And so while the Old Testament might end what you think on a bad note, it ends with hope that matters for eternity. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, because as the Old Testament ends, the New Testament then begins, and we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of four different gospels that... that uh, uh, they're all one gospel, pardon me, four different accounts of this one gospel in some different areas of, of kind of highlighting. And, and Luke focuses the most on this prophecy, and in fact, he's going to quote it. And so I want to read to you the story of, first, the, the birth of John the Baptist being foretold, and we're going to tie that to Malachi. And then we're going to talk about the hope that we can have, and then we're actually going to look at Zechariah, who is... Uh, John's dad, his response to all of this, because I think there's a lot that we can learn in that. So we're going to start at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read 5 to 17. It says this, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. As I said, the book of Malachi ends with this hopeful promise of of God going to come and enter into our world to deal with this. Luke begins with the story of Zechariah, 
And there's so much that you could focus on in in these first few verses, but I want to give you just a few things to highlight because I think um, for those of us who have grown up in a non-Israelite culture, a non-Hebrew culture, uh, some of these things, unless we've recently just read some of these Old Testament passages about how all this works, we, we may not be familiar. And so I just want to highlight just a couple of things. First of all, There's Zechariah and Elizabeth, and and both their lineages are given because both are actually from a a priestly lineage. And so for a priest to be married uh, to someone from the the lineage of Aaron is is apparently quite a a big deal and a big blessing. And in verse 6, it says something that's very important. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But there's a contrast to that in verse 7. And, and this might, we might just read right over this, but to the people who would be hearing this, this would have significance. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And in the Old Testament, through the people, every time someone comes who is barren, there's an assumption on it. And what is that assumption? That they're under some kind of divine punishment from God. Now that's not to say that is true in the Old Testament, and God clarifies that several times. But that was the predominant belief that, man, that's a sign that that God's not with you, that you can't have children. It was just viewed in such a negative way. And so even though Zechariah and Elizabeth are both from the right lineage and they're priests and they're doing all these right things, culture would have looked at them and said, man, but look, they they can't have children. And so there's something going on here. But I love how Luke says, They were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes. He's not trying to say that they were perfect in every way. But he's trying to say, despite the fact that they couldn't have children, despite the fact that, if you think about it from this context, is when Malachi ends, there's 400 years between the last that the the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets and the New Testament comes. And 400 years is a long time to forget the promises of God. And yet you have these two people who are faithful. And they believe God is going to come. He is going to do it. And so, so they, they are doing all their duties before God, walking righteously because they know that God is faithful and God will do what he says he's going to do. And here's probably the first indictment against, well, for sure, my own heart, but probably our own culture. We're not very good at waiting, are we? 400 years seems... This is unfathomable. We don't like it when we sit down and we pray and ask God for something and we don't get an answer within 10 minutes or an hour or a day or a week. And we say, God, are you, do you not hear me? Do you not listen to me? What, what's going on? And then yet we're reminded here that despite that the Holy Spirit, as far as we understand from Scripture, has not been active for 400 years, that they were still being faithful. They were still doing what was right. And so we have Zechariah going in, uh, and I just want to explain this real quick here because this is, this is important, is Zechariah was part of a division, and there are 24 different divisions of priests that were given, and they would get about two weeks each year to serve in the temple, and so this was a great honor. But it also says something interesting, that Zechariah was chosen how? To go and burn incense. By lot. Right now, again, in our modern times, we look at passages in the Bible that say they were chosen by Lot, and we think it's, it's random. But really what's going on here is God's trying to show us that what we perceive to be random, God perceives, or, or God's using as intent and purpose. 
And so the point that Luke's trying to make here is it's very unlikely that Zechariah would be the one at the altar. In fact, many priests went through their entire priestly career, if you want to call it that, as never getting this honor of going and burning incense uh, as Zechariah did this moment. And so remember now, Zechariah and his wife, she's barren. There's no possibility, humanly speaking, of having a child. And then Luke's showing that all these things are happening because of God's purpose and God's plan. It wasn't because that they didn't obey God that, they were, that uh, Elizabeth was barren. It was because God had purpose and plan. And in his sovereignty, he chose this to happen this way. And I hope that just that statement alone impacts our hearts and our minds and that we remember that when we think something that we're going through doesn't seem fair or right or we're upset about it is that we can remember that God in his divine sovereignty has chosen this for his good and for our good. There's purpose and plan in your suffering, in your hurt, in your pain, in your uncertainty. And so despite all the odds against them, the angel appears before them, right? And you can already kind of see uh, if you've read the next chapter in Luke and the prophecy of, uh, or sorry, the angel showing up to Mary and talking about Jesus going to be born. You can see all these similarities that are coming. And so Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And this son is going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. And in fact, he's going to have the power of Elijah. And some of these things may seem like strange statements, but when you go back to Malachi again, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, this is how the Old Testament closes. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And what does Gabriel say in Luke 1, 17? Those exact things. And so assuming, and, and I don't think it's too much of an assumption, because they were priests, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were faithful to the Lord, that they knew these verses. And when Gabriel says this to them, they recognize and go, God's about to deal with what he promised to deal with 400 years ago. Now, unfortunately, Zechariah responds probably the way many of us would. Rather than trust and faith and saying, God, I can't believe this. Thank you so much for what you're about to do. He, he basically makes excuses and says, well, this, this can't happen. You know? As you can remember in one section of Malachi, this prophecy, and then you can forget that what did God do to Abraham and Sarai? Or Abram and Sarai at that point. They were too old to have children. She was barren. They couldn't. And God promised something. You are going to have a child. It's going to be a great nation. And, and, and so God has done this before. And, and it's not the only time isolated in Scripture, but Zechariah doesn't listen. And so he gets the consequence to that. And the angel Gabriel says to him, because, because you didn't listen, you're not going to be able to speak until the birth of the child. Now, imagine that, right? You've just seen an angel. A prophesy has been told is about to be fulfilled through your barren wife. All of these things. It's just crazy. And now he can't speak. He can't share what he's heard with anybody. Suffice it to say, I'm sure there's a million emotions going on through his mind. His, he was about to have a son who would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And, and I think that probably some people, 
in that situation would look at this and go like, like he's going to turn many people from their sins? Like, like is this going to be the Messiah? But again, the prophecy in Malachi, and I'm convinced Zechariah understood it and knew it, and so he, he knew these, these days some things were about to happen. And Luke goes on in chapter 2 to explain Mary coming on the scene, and a cousin of, of Elizabeth, and how this relationship between Jesus and John kind of goes and and. I just, I can't even imagine being in their shoes and knowing that it's been 400 years since this and now we're about to see it. You know, in a few moments here at the end, we're going to take communion together. And a big part of communion is celebrating that Christ is coming again. Well, how long have we been waiting? Right, we're nearing 2,000 years waiting for Jesus to come again. But we believe that God will. Why? Because God is always faithful to his promise. And just like Elizabeth and just like Zechariah, who were faithful despite not hearing for 400 years, is we, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit in us and working through us. And when we come together as the saints and we gather, we know that God is among us and he's working. And so how much more faith and belief and trust should we have that God will be faithful when he chooses the time is right for the second coming of Christ? In verse 57, we read that John's birth happens, and, and after the birth of this, it says that all the people marveled, and it concludes in verse 66 with this, and all who heard them laid them upon their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him, or with him. It's a really interesting thing, because when you read about kind of Mary going to see Elizabeth when she's pregnant with Jesus already, it, when they're in the same room, it says the baby leaps in her womb at the presence of, of John there. Like the Holy Spirit is going to be so actively at work in the lives of these women and specifically their children. Just amazing, amazing things are going to happen. I don't think we can possibly grasp all that they had to emotionally process and deal with. But what they could see and what is important to us is that despite the circumstances, despite how it looked impossible, that God was about to do something wonderful and great. And so again, I want to remind you that hope, I say this every year at Christmas, is hope is not based on probabilities. Christian hope is based on the promises of God. And so we can have assurance and we can know for certain that God will do what God has promised to do. Now, in this, sense, in this sense, there's very specific prophecies given, and so we can go, okay, that makes sense, but what about me and my life? There's no prophecies in the scripture specific to my life about this big situation that I'm about to embark on. Is God, what are, you, what are you teaching? What are you showing? How are you trying to get me to do this? And so it can seem like, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? But there's a passage we quote all the time in this church in Romans 8, that God works for what? The good of those who love him. Now, we have to redefine that because we think our good is our prosperity, but God thinks what our good is is a spiritual reconciliation between us and him and that we might go out into the world and share that Christ with others so that they might know that they can have salvation. And whatever means necessary. Uh, If you've had children and if your children have grown up, is your biggest prayer for them, I hope, is that they would know and love Jesus. And yet, for many, I know that that's not always the case. 
and you watch your children make some very difficult decisions with difficult consequences, and we look at this and we say, God, what are you doing? How, how could you be allowing all these things to happen? And there's no easy answers for any of those things except to say that God is at work in the mess, in the mess of our lives, in the mess of the lives of others around us. That God has purpose in our pain and that he can use it for his good. We simply have to trust him. And that doesn't mean that the situation will work out necessarily the way that we want. But we can trust that it will work out the way that God has ordained. And so if you had to say it this way, if you had to go through all kinds of pain and hurt, but know that your children would be saved, would you not do anything and everything? Would you not go through all the mess and the pain willingly going, it's worth it? While we don't know the ends of every single individual, what we do know is that God loves you and he loves your children more than you do. God wants to be in relationship with each one of us. And he has sent Jesus to the world so that we can have this opportunity at salvation. And while right now it may look very messy and it might be like, man, my, my kids or my parents or, or my loved one or maybe my spouse is so far from God right now, that all that means is that God is still at work. So we can still trust and believe and hope. We can hope that God loves them more than we do because that's what scripture teaches us. And so whatever your circumstance is this morning, however painful the situation you are going through, what I'm not saying is that your situation is going to improve or get fixed tomorrow or all will be better. What I am saying is that God is at work in the midst of it and he's going to do what is right and he's going to do what is just. And so we can trust in him. And so we can wait just like Zachariah and Elizabeth waited for, I mean, they didn't wait 400 years, but the people of Israel waited and they waited their entire lifetime until they were too old until God went, I'm still going to do something. I'm still going to do a miracle. We can have that same hope. And God might not do the miracle that we expect him to do or that we want him to do, but we can trust that he will do what is right. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about our adoption journey with Smonga. And waiting those three years felt like an eternity. And as I was kind of reflecting on those when I was writing that sermon, as I was reminded of just how faithful now looking back God was. And how in fact, had the timeline gone the way that I wanted it to, it probably wouldn't have ended very well. But God had purpose in that. And so I hope that we can look back in our lives and we can see some of the times that God has done something that has brought clarity where we can see it with hindsight and go, I can trust God because he was faithful then and he'll be faithful now. Hope is not this, I think, I think God's going to work out all things for the good of those who love him. Hope is I know he will. I just don't know when. And so we wait expectantly. And in, in just a moment, we're going to flip to Corinthians. And, and when we take communion together, I want to remind us there too that we can wait expectantly that Christ is coming again. And while I don't know if that's today, tomorrow, or any day from now until the end of time, what I do know is this, is he is going to come. Because God has not yet let a promise go unfulfilled. And so I can wait. I want to read to you to close this part of the service with Zachariah's response to all of this. And I don't, want to, I don't want to explain it or dig into it. I simply just want to read it 
And I want us to consider the fact that Zechariah's son is born. God opens his tongue and he lets him speak. And, and, and these are the emotions that pour out of Zechariah, knowing that his son is about to prepare the way for the Messiah. Here's what he writes. Here's what Luke writes about Zechariah, pardon me. His father, this is verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all of our days, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. God, as we think about the hope that we can have in you, so often we get sidetracked with our circumstances. And we forget that you are always faithful. That your timing is not our timing. That your ways are not our ways. So God, I pray that we learn to trust in you more. God, even as Zachariah's response, he's got this little baby in front of him and he's saying all of these things in the past tense like they've already happened. Your people have been redeemed. God, we have that kind of faith. And we've seen, we can see through the hindsight of Scripture that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he was raised again, and that he ascended into glory but we have a promise that's given to us that we are still waiting for. That one day you will come again and you will make all wrongs right and you will take us, the church, to be with you for all of eternity. And so God, I pray for each one of us here, for those who are, who are waiting but are waiting feeling a lack of hope. Maybe they're feeling abandoned. Maybe they're feeling like they don't know how to trust you. God, I pray that we would read scripture more and more and we would remind ourselves that what we think is good is not always what's best for us. May we trust that you love us more than we could possibly understand, that you love our loved ones way more than we do, and that you want to be in relationship with each one. And so God, while we are here, while we wait with hope, You have given us purpose and mission that we might declare to others the works that you are doing and that you have done. God, may we put our faith and our trust in you every day. And would we seek opportunities to go and to share that love with others, that we might disciple one another 
and that we might share the message of Jesus with those who don't know. God, restore to us the hope that we need amidst the chaos of of our lives. May we remember that you are faithful. Be with us. Teach us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. If you could just flip ahead to 1 Corinthians, we're just going to spend a few minutes reading this familiar passage that we read every month, and then, and then I'm just going to invite, um, oh, I forgot to ask people. I'm going to invite two people who are willing to come and help with communion. You just, as the Spirit moves. <laughs> I just want to read this to us in this context For this reminder that this early church was sitting around probably thinking that Jesus was coming in their lifetimes. That seems to be the belief of the scriptural writers. And yet, we still wait, but we can wait with just as much hope and anticipation as them. But remember, there's a warning that Paul gives in this passage that we would take seriously this understanding that this is kind of a holy moment. that, That while nothing miraculous happens, if you eat the bread and drink the cup, it's not as if that saves you. You are saved through your faith in Jesus alone. But that there's a seriousness to this moment where we remind ourselves of the price that Christ had to pay for our salvation. That we remind ourselves of the hope and the joy that we can have in him. And hopefully it reminds us that we need to reset our priorities probably every day, probably multiple times a day, and remind ourselves Jesus is what's most important. And so I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 11, starting in 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The reminder in there, for us, and Paul's point is that we are the body of Christ, and we are called to serve and to care for and to love one another. And so this is not just an individual act, though it is partly that. It's also a corporate act where we together as the church unite, and we eat, and we drink, and we proclaim Jesus is coming again. But all in this context of we are the body of Christ. And so my challenge to you is, as when we hand out these elements, we'll sit quietly for a moment. But as those are handed out, I want to encourage you to think, what can I do to serve someone in my church family? What can I do to love somebody who needs to be loved this morning? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus to build up the body and make it whole? And I just ask that you would pray that God would reveal someone in your heart and then just in faith go up and 
and see how you can be part of the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment. Sometimes at our Bible studies, we, well, we always, at the end, we ask for prayer requests, and sometimes there's lots, and sometimes there's few. And the joke always is, oh, I guess we don't need any prayer this week because everyone's lives are going perfect. None of us are, and we know that. So let's just be honest and real with ourselves and with others. Don't hold in the things that you're struggling with and going through, but turn to your body. Turn to the body of Christ that you might receive help and comfort and strength. That's why we exist, to declare Christ and to care for one another. So I'll invite whoever is willing to come up to help, and I'm just going to spend some time in prayer as we pass these elements out. So let's pray. God, as we take these moments, as we pass out what represents your body and your blood, may we remember the seriousness of this moment, the reality that Jesus went to the cross willingly so that we might have salvation. So God, I pray that as we consider these things and as we consider what it means to be a Christian, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to make known Jesus to the world, would we take that calling seriously? God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus was willing, that his love for us knew no limits. And that through his death, through his resurrection, and through his exaltation, that we might be children of God. In these moments, may we consider our own hearts. And may we ask how we can honor you today. Amen.